0: What up? Welcome into the very first playoff edition of Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack with Luke Smith. we got a big show planned today. I'm pretty excited about it. Notre Dame is set to face off against Alabama in the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. Although in classic 2020 fashion, it's not the traditional Rose Bowl because it will be played at Jerry World in Dallas, Texas. Either way, it's a matchup between the two most historic college football programs for a shot to play in the national championship. We'll break down both sides of the ball before we're joined by Ryan Harris, the former Notre Dame offensive lineman and Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos. He posted a tweet last week saying Notre Dame could beat Bama. I seriously think he was the only member of the media to (laughs) actually come out and say that publicly. So we hit him up and asked if he wanted to talk more about it, and he was great. Um, Notre Dame comes into this one as massive underdogs. Not really surprising, but last I saw, Notre Dame is getting... 20 points, and I think the money line now is at plus 725 or plus 750. They're the biggest underdogs in the history of the college football playoff. But, Luke, as we've been known to do, being the delusional idiots that we are, we have convinced ourselves Notre Dame has a real shot to win this.
1: Yeah, I'm tired of being negative, um, which might surprise some of our listeners, but I'm, I'm going to be Mister Optimistic <laughs> here. Um, I think it probably started when I realized that this is the first time Notre Dame's a 20 point underdog since 2008 against USC, and I remember that game. I watched it at like sixth grade basketball practice, and Clawson got sacked like 15 times in the Coliseum. So, like to compare that era to this, I don't care how good Alabama is, we should never be 20 point dogs, but. Getting into, you know, why I think we have a shot, um, Nick Saban sent his players home for the holidays. And listen, I'm I'm not, you know, encouraging or, or hoping that anything happens, but we've seen it happen with Trevor Lawrence already. Who's to say that Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Devonta Smith couldn't have been close contacts with somebody who has COVID nineteen? <laughs> they get ruled out for this ballgame, it could happen. I don't know.
0: Yeah, we found a, a few potential Alabama pitfalls that no one else is talking about. That's one of them. Um, I got another one. COVID isn't a thing in Texas, at least as far as I know. I think they've just kind of forgotten about it. Who's to say that Alabama players don't take this game seriously? They go out boozing a couple nights before, and you know, one of them, close contacts, they're out. Because I think there's this idea that just because it's the playoff, there's this like COVID-free aspect about it. But there's not you know, we were, we're not wishing sickness on anyone, but hey, stranger things have happened.
1: That's true. And, you know, Saban sent some guys home in 2012 when they were out in Miami. So at like 11 or whatever. So it could happen again. And who's to say it wouldn't be somebody important related. You know, you said there's not really COVID in Texas. Um, Steve Sarkeesian's been integral to Alabama's offensive success. You know, maybe we get him out drinking with us. I don't know. I'll be down in Dallas. I'll happy, happily buy him a bottle of of. Whatever, if it, if it distracts him a little bit, you know, and, and gets him off his game plan. That could happen, too.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm not going anywhere near Dallas, Texas, or any stadium that Notre Dame is playing a big game in anytime soon. So we don't have to worry about my jinx. Um, okay, I got another one. Maybe SEC not that good this year. Only played a conference-only okay. schedule. Florida lost to LSU at home, and they're horrible. I'd buy and it. They, they were using their third-string quarterback. Throughout three starting defensive backs, hey, and Florida gave Alabama one hell of a fight. So maybe the SEC overrated. Something to consider. I I'd buy it. Um, another
1: thing, as you know, we've done more and more work leading up to this game. Uh, Alabama fans hate Pete Golding, and you know it, it seems like he's probably on his way out after this year, which is nuts because we're talking about one of the best teams Saban's ever had, but. Seems like there could be some internal strife within that locker room. Maybe it's not just the outside looking in. And who's to say him and Saban don't get into a fist fight just arguing over scheme and, and completely disrupts the team going into the game?
0: Did you did you see um the players after the SEC championship game? Sabin was kinda like gushing about the players and all this good stuff and they interview the players and they're like, Yeah, we've never heard Sabin, you know. He's not normally that nice about us. It's usually just criticize, criticize, criticize like uh, that scene in Janko. But maybe it just gets to another level, Saban and Pete Golding just fight it out. Maybe before. It'll be like the Lane Kiffin thing where Saban fired him right before the national championship. He's not afraid to get rid of a coach. This is true. Even though Alabama fans don't like him, got to think that would mess up Alabama at least a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. Um, You know. Another thing, like you made this point earlier to me. You know, I'm not sure how much I, you know, really adhere to this because I think last week would have worked out a lot better if it was, but you know, Notre Dame is a Catholic school. Maybe some somebody up in the sky can pull up some miracles and and we'll have something on our way this Friday. Well,
0: Dabo and Trevor, you know, they're very religious. God's gotta to... And they haven't lost a lot of games. Yeah, that's true. He has to balance it out. So they got theirs, now we gotta get ours this Saturday. Another one. Okay. Um Alabama's plane could have issues. On the way down, we've all dealt with horrible travel days. I think you more than than most most have unbelievable, yeah, unbelievably bad luck when it comes to flying. So, look, maybe their plane has issues. If you've had a really bad day at the airport or several, it ruins your mood and could throw you off for days. Maybe, we know a couple engineers, maybe they could go sabotage the plane and then just cause a delay. They don't get there late. Everything's thrown off in the schedule. Saban is a very regimented guy. He'd probably hate that.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that like Saban does have like his own like depot of planes that he somehow worked out with like the boosters, which is ridiculous. <laughs> the Geico that's allowed, yeah, but,
0: Geico too is sponsor. <laughs> it could happen.
1: Um, you know, I just gotta say, like I went on probably like a three or four year period of time without hating Alabama. Like I kind of blacked out twenty twelve, it was so long ago. And, you know, Tuscaloosa will will always hold a special place. In my heart, one bar specifically, Rounders, because that Love bar Rounders. is where I watched the Cubs clinch the NLCS
0: in twenty sixteen. Rounders is the best college bar in America. Just want to throw that out there. It is most fun bar I've ever been to. They've got a couple: Galette's, Bear Trap, Industry. I mean, you know,
1: they they make Notre Dame bars look like pad shelters, but <laughs> they're so yeah, spoiled. Is what it is. Now that we're playing them, I gotta say I hate them again. And you know, obviously, I've been down there because I have a couple friends that are Bama grads. And now I'm remembering how intolerable they are. Um, they're so so arrogant now, rightfully so. You know they they've seen two national titles and you know been to the playoff every year, but but won the last five years. It's infuriating to me because they don't understand college football fandom from my perspective. The typical Alabama fan, our age. That's not to say that there are people down in Alabama like you know in Rammer Jammer Yellowhammer that book that I've read where you know they're they're fanatics, but. The typical 24-year-old Alabama fan is not – they don't understand college football, and here's why. Alabama has a bizarre pull from the Midwest and the East Coast because they just throw a bunch of money at these kids (laughs) who did pretty well in high school, and they just want to go to Tuscaloosa and party. Don't blame them. And they have no idea what losing's like. You know, They weren't there for the Brody, Croyle, and Mike Shula days. All they know is Saban and national championships. Um, I have a buddy who went to Bama. He's one of my best friends. He's never been to a playoff game. He's never been to a national championship. And he could have gone to any of them. And he's just like, ah, there'll be another one. You know how much that pisses me off? Because I go to every single one of these games and I never get rewarded. Like, they just don't deserve what they get. And and it infuriates me. Um, So that's just a little rant I had to go on there.
0: But that really bothers me. They are so spoiled, man. Although I will say, Alabama, when they lose, it is all-time crushing. They lose in the most heartbreaking ways. Like, well, let's hope it happens again. Uh, I the loss to Clemson when Hunter Renfro scored in the very last play. There was that one, the kick six. So they don't lose often, but when they do, it, it's pretty brutal. But I don't really feel any sympathy for them at all. They're so spoiled. Going to school there, like if you grew up as a fan— of Alabama, like not the people that you were just mentioning that just kind of go to party. If you grew up a fan of the football team and you have gone to Alabama recently, you've got it all. You've got the best social life, the best football team. Every single girl there is drop dead gorgeous. Everything you would want in a college experience, they have the best of it. So I hate them too, entirely out of jealousy. Is it childish maybe? I don't really care.
1: Well, they also threw some more fuel onto the fire this week. I don't know if you saw this, but I was literally beside myself, Um, even though I do kind of think that this campaign in general is kind of corny, but they they stole our 4 for 40 thing. Did you see this? I
0: did. I don't know how much they used that, but the fact that it was tweeted once is ridiculous.
1: If you read the article, it was clear that it was marketed because some other people, Singer was freaking out about it. Um, Basically, for those not aware, uh, Bama got another five-star recruit this week, shocker, a (laughs) running back, uh, Kamar Wheaton. And his dad is quoted as saying, the biggest thing for Kamar is what can help him for the next 40 years. And he felt Alabama put him in the best position for that and for college. Um, No disrespect, but... Unless Kamar has an interest in government contracting and, and intends on, you know, residing in the fine city of Huntsville, you know, which is a thriving government contracting hub in the state of Alabama, <laughs> I don't see anything the state of Alabama can offer him for the next forty years. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So, um, might want to re- refigure using that phrase because unless you're you're into that stuff and you you know you want to work for a Northrop Grumman or a Boeing or a Raytheon,
0: uh, Alabama doesn't have a whole lot for you. There's so much old money at Alabama. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go see the campus, all these new buildings, they all look the same, but it just has this very, like, 1800s colonial. It's like you go there, you basically go 100 years back in time. But either way, there's just so much money they throw it at the school. And I mean, we've seen the fraternity houses there. They're mansions. The sorority houses, the Alpha V house is right next to the stadium. It looks. Better than the White House. I would rather live in the Alpha Phi house on the University of Alabama's campus than the White House. It's nice. It's ridiculous. Anyway, the only way that Kamar is gonna have four forty is that he invests the money that the boosters throw at him now. <laughs> Invest it well. He's get some guidance from these guys, and that sort of carries him. That's the only way the four forty thing is gonna be better than the Notre Dame education. So, yes, I agree. We can be pissed at that as well.
1: Yeah, it, it is wild. You know, you bring up just the old money there, like those frat tailgates. You just see all these old guys in red jackets walking around, and they paid for everything. And, you know, I'm there. And they're like, oh, yeah, feel free to have whatever you want, son. This is great. These guys are like 70, 80 years old. And <laughs> I'm thinking, if I'm at Legacy Village, I'm like scrapping change together to get a keg for like some pretty mediocre parking lot party. And these guys are just like in their frat castles that all these old heads paid for. It's, it's, a, it's a wild dynamic down there.
0: Got buffets, too. It's,
1: I am envious of it, but. Yeah, it's, it's wild. We
0: sound so jealous. So <laughs> we maybe, gotta, all right, enough Alabama. Right, we're praising him, but also we hate him at the same time. All right, do you want to leave us off?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to take the Notre Dame offensive side of the ball, and let me just say this happens every time Notre Dame loses a game, but everybody and their mother has had opinions on what Notre Dame should be doing coming out of the ACC championship game. Well, I guess that everybody and their mother forgot that their opinions don't matter, and they're not paid as much as Brian Kelly and Tommy Rees are to put this offense in the best positions to succeed and keep their livelihoods afloat. I mentioned this last week, and and I think it's very true. Um, after getting out, after getting blown out in a big spot, Notre Dame has never had the opportunity in the same season to still play for a national title, and I think that's important because I do think this group is going to take advantage of that, and they're going to show up, they're going to come ready, they're going to be focused. If they weren't, it would be incredibly disheartening, frankly. I don't care how talented Alabama is. I expect a much better effort this time around. Back-to-back eggs would, would really be hard to rectify. And they get that opportunity, and listen, I, I think they're going to do it that the way that they've been playing all year. you know, I've seen a lot of people saying ball control won't work. Well, let me tell you, Kyle Pitts isn't going to magically appear in a Notre Dame uniform on Friday either. Like you, you got to make do with what you have. We do not have the horses to get into a shootout with Alabama, our best defense is keeping our offense on the field as long as possible. And I was thinking about this a little bit, and, and I really do think it's it's kind of going to be like a, a Florida State 2014 type game plan. Where we went in, and obviously you know against a, a superior opponent, and Brian Kelly really just had a focused, lasered-in game plan. And it was a grinded-out drive, drive after drive, and, and put us in an opportunity to win the game. Now, obviously, I recognize that this Alabama team is a lot more talented than that Florida State team, but I do think it's going to be the same sort of mindset, and they've had the same sort of resources going into this that I think they know they can't fail on this on this spot once again after what happened in Charlotte, and I really do expect us to do what we've been doing all year, and that's have a 60-40 rushing to passing attack. Like I said, we don't have the horses to get into a shootout with the Tide. They've scored 1.62 points per minute of every offensive possession. I don't know what else to say. Like, you just got to keep that offense off the field as, as much as you can. And you know, Brian Kelly and, and Kyron said as much in their presser today. Brian Kelly made a Princeton offense basketball reference. Kyron said establishing the run is our bread and butter, which I'm sure gave like pretty much 85% of fans our age, a, a conniption <laughs> because they just want to pass, pass, pass. But listen, like, why would you go away from your strengths here? Now, you know, I, I do think you got to give your players like McKinley and Skoranek a shot on 50-50 balls and, and take some shots. But I, I think you got to start with running the ball and, and giving that offensive line a chance to rectify for, for a pretty poor performance in Charlotte.
0: Yeah, Notre Dame is definitely going to have to put up a better performance on the ground than they did against Clemson, which is a pretty low bar, but something I think they'll figure out in this one. They've got two weeks to prepare. Alabama's defense has shown all year that they can get scored on, and Notre Dame has shown against Clemson that they can move the ball. They don't necessarily have to be you know, five wide, aired out to be effective in the passing game, but the receivers have to get open. We've talked about it a lot. The receivers have been very up and down this year. Last week against Clemson, they just weren't getting open, so if Notre Dame can run the ball and get some play action going, I actually feel pretty confident that they they can pass. I mean, Malachi Moore, he's a true freshman in Alabama. He was an absolute liability. I know they have Kyle Pitts, but it's kind of weird, actually, to see a Nick Saban defense, especially at the defensive back position, kind of be like pretty weak. I would say overall, as a group, they have some good players. Obviously, it's Alabama. They get five star recruits every year. But, yeah, the people who want Notre Dame to just completely change their entire offense look at the players like coaching is all about building a scheme based on the player's strengths and weaknesses you want to amplify their strengths and try to hide their weaknesses as much as possible so why in the biggest game of the year would you just completely break away? Not not saying that they shouldn't break tendencies but right. they shouldn't try to change everything
1: Yeah, exactly. And another important piece of this is it's not the same smothering Alabama defense of years past. And, you know, Aaron Suttles, the Alabama beat writer for The Athletic talked about this. It used to be a given that you could not run the ball in Alabama. That's not the case anymore. Um, Dylan Moses, all SEC performer, he said as much like he was not an all SEC performer this year. He hasn't been since he got injured last year or I guess his majesty is, you know, you remember that yeah. letter when he initially declared for the draft yeah. and then came back and that whole thing with his dad, it was yeah, very odd. wild. And like I said, nobody used to be able to run the ball on them. Not the case anymore. Much to save in chagrin. They do have some players though. Um, They got Federian Mathis at D line. Christian Barmore on, on that line is also decent. And, and Will Anderson, the edge rusher is one of the best edge rushers in the country. And he's just a true freshman. I think that significance of Jarrett Patterson's loss last week was very clear, and, and Ryan Harris talked about it, and we'll get into that later. But I think this veteran group anchored by Eichenberg and, and All-American Aaron Banks, they, they'll be ready to go. They said as much in the presser today. They want another shot against, and I think the quote was, those guys have the curse of A's on their helmet. They want, they want them. So uh, I think I'm really excited to, to see how they rebound. But it's also kind of interesting, um, weird to say this, Nobody in the SEC plays like Notre Dame does anymore. Alabama hasn't seen a lot of twelve personnel this year. Saban's obviously very familiar with it, but it's it's tempo now, which is just wild when you think about the last time Notre Dame and Alabama met, where you know basically Notre Dame now is what Alabama was eight years ago. Um, but. That's pretty wild, and and you know, like I said, it does seem like there's some at least discontent within the Alabama defense, and maybe we can exploit that a little bit with Pete Golding kind of under fire, a little bit. Um, like I said, seems like a kind of ridiculous conversation because this is probably Saban's, maybe not probably, but it very well could be Saban's best team ever at Alabama. Um, but you know, we'll see if we're able to exploit that, and that secondary does have some vulnerabilities, especially. In the secondary. Um, and Patrick Sertan is phenomenal. Um, he's the corner who's the
0: SEC defensive player of the year. His dad was in the NFL forever. Yeah. Tommy Reese said today that Patrick Sertan might be the best cornerback he's ever seen in college football. That's pretty high praise. Yeah. That worries me because I, well, I hadn't <laughs> seen that, uh,
1: that quote. I'd heard a lot about him, but okay. Um Great. Maybe it's a Holtzism where he's just hyping him up, but I don't think he is. He, he The guy's a hell of a player. Dad was in the NFL forever and, you know, that's a tough matchup for for our receivers, but the rest of that secondary is pretty young. There's some opportunities for us to exploit it and, you know, while this defense has improved as the year's gone on, like you said, they, they let up points at times and when Notre Dame's throwing the ball, I'd like to see Book play when he's at his best and that's when he's using his feet to make plays, opposed to last week where, where he was using his feet, it was like to run for his life, essentially, we saw when Bama played Ole Miss this year, which feels like forever ago. But Ole Miss put up 48 points, and that was because Matt Corral was doing a lot about was doing a lot of what Ian Book is best at, which is just using his feet to create plays, both throwing and running the ball. And I think Notre Dame's offense is you know, positioned a little bit better than, than Ole Misses is to, to do that against an Alabama team. Now to say we're going to put up 48 points I think would be ridiculous. Um, but I, I think we should be able to move the ball. And the big thing for me is when we get into the red zone – we have to score touchdowns. That's been a, a problem all year. It's like the basketball isms. You got to make shots to win games. Well, in football, you, you got to score touchdowns to win games. You can't leave points on the field, especially against an Alabama team. Ryan Harris talked about this a little bit, about how Notre Dame got a little bit too caught up in its protections, keeping its backs in and tight ends in, and you know it would be an opportunity to get those guys free a little bit if Bama's sending pressure. Um, He does a lot better job explaining it than I do because he's Ryan Harris and and I'm Luke Smith, so we'll get to that in the interview. But there's definitely a path for Notre Dame's offense to give us a shot
0: in this game. It's also nice, too, that Alabama doesn't have a full month to prepare for this game like they normally would in a non-COVID season. They only have two weeks, so maybe that makes it a little bit easier for Notre Dame to move the ball or game plan offensively, and Pete Golding doesn't have as much time. Well, and Sabin too, because Saban has a huge part in the in the defense as well. But I'm with you. I think there's opportunities and uh, some weaknesses Notre Dame can exploit. Yeah.
1: Like I said, I do think it, it ultimately comes down to just taking advantage of those opportunities when they arise because we moved the ball against Clemson in, in that first quarter, right? And we left a bunch of points on the field and the game completely changed because we couldn't score touchdowns and Clemson scored on their first whatever possessions it was of that second quarter. We can't do that again if we want to have a shot in this game. And, and that's been a really something that's ailed us all year and, and I think will be critical to, to try to rectify to, to give us a fighting chance in this game.
0: Yeah. Now, the reason that Alabama has been so successful is their offense. Look, I'm sure by now you've heard a lot about how great Alabama's offense is because they are. They've had six, six games where they scored 52 or more points in a shortened season, including their last three games that's insane <laughs> five out of 11 players on the AP all-american first team on offense five of them on Alabama Mac Jones Najee Harris Devontae Smith Landon Dickerson who is out and Alex Leatherwood Leatherwood is their best player on the offensive line he's the most athletic he's just a freak the loss of Dickerson is huge he went down in the SEC championship game he's been repeatedly called the heart and soul of this Alabama offense and look, Notre Dame saw how much losing a center can hurt, so we'll see. This is the first time Alabama's had to play without him, so we don't really know how much of an effect that will have until Friday. They have three players in the top five the Heisman voting. That hasn't happened since 1946. They've scored 40 or more points in every game, except the season opener against Missouri when they scored 38, and they easily could have surpassed it, but they took their starters out. <laughs> they averaged 7.83 yards per play. Yeah. like That's... Okay. Well, I have nothing else to say about that. We talked about the red zone. Alabama scored on 55 out of 60 attempts. 91.7%. That's first in the country. 46 of those have been touchdowns. Look, what they do is insane. They've completely morphed since the 2012 team that we saw when they just kind of had a conservative running attack with a quarterback that just didn't turn the ball over. Those days are gone. Now they have the bullet winner pretty much every year. Last year they had two first-round picks at receiver go to the NFL. This year reload. They lost Jalen Waddle. He's probably the most ex- explosive player in college football. Didn't even matter. Like it doesn't matter. That's how good they are.
1: They just got four of the top nine receivers in this next class too.
0: <laughs> four out of nine. Yeah. Like I I don't understand it. Like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just the rich get richer. Notre Dame. I would say this is probably. No, this is the best defense that Alabama has seen all year. Does that mean Notre Dame is going to shut them down? No. I I think you pretty much have to spot Alabama five touchdowns. Like Notre Dame's defense could play a great game and give up five touchdowns. That's wild. And (laughs) it's simple to say they've got to force turnovers, that being Notre Dame. Alabama has committed 11 turnovers this year. That ranks 48th nationally. So I guess if there's one chink in the armor, it's that. Notre Dame has to exploit that. Hopefully, Kyle Hamilton, it sounds like he's going to be 100%. We're going to need him to get a pick, maybe two. Notre Dame has the best third-down defense in the country. However, Alabama has the best third-down offense. Something's got to give there, and if Notre Dame has any chance here, they just have to win that battle. But I, I don't know, man. Like Looking at this offense, it's it's just insane how good they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You, you pretty much do have to spot them five touchdowns. Listen, they... <laughs> The last time they didn't score 35 points in a game was the 2018 Natty um, where they got blown out by Clemson. And the thing about that game, they moved the ball in that game. Just once they got to the 20, Venables put the clamps on them. But like, they still moved the ball at will. And the fact that they it's been pretty much two years since they haven't scored 35 points in a game, that's ridiculous. I actually think the most ridiculous stat I saw today was that they've had 10 drives all season, in which they didn't get a first down or points. like What? Uh,
0: 10? I, I don't even know. <laughs> out of how many? Yeah. That's insane. Oh, my God. The percentage uh, there.
1: I don't know. But just 10. And only five of those came with less than a 21-point lead. Okay, one of them was a punt with 26 seconds left last week against <laughs> Florida. Um, only once in the third quarter when they were blowing out Mississippi State 27-0 did they fail to gain a first down on back-to-back drives.
0: Yeah, they almost maxed out their total yardage against Ole Miss, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're a lot. Notre Dame's defense is the strength of this team, obviously. However, we do not match up well because I would say our biggest flaw is probably pass defense. That's not great going against Devontae Smith, who I think is the best player in college football. He should win the Heisman, although I'm a little bit biased because I love wide receivers in that position. But look, Georgia Tech Texas A&M held them to under four yards per carry it's possible to at least slow the running game down. Against Florida, Florida was playing their DBs way back. They they were trying to eliminate the deep threat, which they did. Mac Jones's longest pass was for 31 yards. But Jones still threw for 418 yards in five touchdowns. He completed 77% of his passes. So from a schematic standpoint, like I said, they're going to give up five touchdowns. You just have to get a couple stops. Like They're going to move the ball if you could just clamp up on one possession and get them off the field with even a field goal. That'd be that'd be huge for this team. They've got to get pressure with four guys, maybe five. Notre Dame was able to shut down North Carolina's high-powered offense by getting after Sam Howell, just rushing four, and he didn't have time to take deep, deep shots. Now, obviously, that's much tougher to do against Bama's offensive line. Hell, they might win the Joe Moore Award, but again, they're without Landon Dickerson. That could be huge. Dickerson has been described as the Quentin Nelson of their line. Now, he's not as talented, but he's plays to the echo of the whistle, to steal the Bobby Bowden quote. He's the badass. He is the disruptor. Sounds like a tool. And he's also calling all the shots. Yeah, <laughs> I wish we had him. But, look, it's it's going to be incredibly daunting. We, we've trusted Clark Lee all this season. Obviously, it didn't go well against Clemson. They've got Trevor Lawrence... Mac Jones is great. He's not a game manager. He's really talented. They're loaded all across the board. And Steve Sarkeesian just won the Broyles Award today uh, for best assistant coach in the country because he he's incredible. But Alabama's going to score points. It, it, there's It's just going to happen. So if you're yeah. Notre Dame, you just got to hope you can limit that to, like, five touchdowns. Five touchdowns gives us a chance. <laughs> a chance,
1: yeah. Like, under 40 is a win, which is ridiculous, but that's just... Kind of where they're at. I mean, frankly, I've said this to a couple people. Like, I feel like seeing Crawford lined up against Devonta Smith will just be like watching the ending scene of Marley and me on loop. Like, just put the dog down, man. Like, get off the field. Uh, But, like, there are, like, some things with Alabama where uh, whether I'm in a public place listening to something or I'm watching TV where I audibly, like, laugh at just how absurd and gaudy their stats are they're at a different level than anybody else in the sport outside of Clemson probably, but just the way their stats are compiled, it's, it's outrageous. We gotta, we gotta hope for the best. And and I think we gotta hope for a home run defensive play from either Hamilton or, or Coromoa and, and turn it into a score. You mentioned that they're 48th in turnovers. We gotta, we gotta hit at that somehow we're going to need a defensive score. I think to have a shot in this game, I don't know how it's going to happen, but that uh, I think is just one of those like for everything, all oh, like the perfect card hand. That's gonna gonna have to be in that hand.
0: Hey, having dreams is what makes life tolerable, right? <laughs> all right, let's get into some score predictions. You want to go first?
1: Yeah. Um. So it's not often I, I pick against us, and I I do think we show up in this game. I, I just think it's a little bit too tall of a task to tackle. Um. We're pretty much playing Dallas Carter here. Um. Just some big cocky sons of guns, and we're going to be in Dallas, so that's great. Um, I'm going down there with no expectations and to have fun and enjoy what has been a great year and a year that I thought might never happen. So I think Bama just has a bit too much talent, and and we come up a bit short, but I I think we walk away seeing last week as more of an aberration than an indication of where we stand as a program. I I really do, and uh, I'm going Bama 38,
0: Irish 31. I can't believe... But I'm higher on this game than you. You know what? Notre Dame 38, 35. Honestly, all week, I was playing on Picking Bama by two scores at least. Um, but like I said, having dreams is what makes life tolerable. I've got no concrete analysis for you. Um, <laughs> I just think like I'm just delusional and decades of misery in big games could be washed away by just one win here, I don't know how it's going to happen. If it does happen, hell, I might even shed a tear or multiple tears. But look, if it happens, it's the greatest win of our lives and something we'll talk mm-hmm. about forever. So I'm just going to hope to God that that happens. Notre Dame 38 35.
1: Listen, like I said, I do think it's a really good chance for us to, to atone for our sins, so to speak, and that egg we laid last week. We've never gotten that chance before. And I do think Notre Dame makes the most of it. I just think it's a bit too much. But – That's
0: enough out of us. Uh, Let's throw to Ryan Harris. All right. It's not very often you get the chance to talk to a Super Bowl champion. So we're super excited to bring on Ryan Harris, former Notre Dame left tackle and current color analyst on the Notre Dame radio network. Ryan, we've got to start with your tweet last week that was making waves because I think you're the only member of the media to publicly say Notre Dame can beat Bama. And I'm paraphrasing, but you basically said it's on Tommy Reese to find ways to break tendencies, utilize Kyron Williams and the tight ends a bit more in the passing game. So could you elaborate a little bit more on what Notre Dame needs to do offensively to pull off the upset on Friday?
2: Yeah, sure, Tyler. And thanks for having me. You know, there's there are two mentalities when it comes to running offense, and, and- One of them, uh, defensive coaches will say, hey, if we blitz them, you got to block them. Maybe. But the successful way offensively is if they're going to bring two, somebody's wide open. And if that person's not, well, go get them out there. And and to prove my point even further, how often do you see the back blocking in front of Aaron Rodgers? He doesn't want that guy there. I mean, even, even, even when I played with Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, They wanted that running back, and you'll often see this in the NFL, out to the flat even if they're just direct next to the quarterback because at least that way, if that blitz comes, you can dump it off to a player. And even that worst-case scenario with, with six total rushers, you've got five guys that have to make tackles, and three of them are on the other side of the field. You have to force defenses to cover you And stop thinking about blocking blitzes. That's not how you operate against top defenses if you want to be successful in football.
1: Makes sense. Now, as the color analyst on the Notre Dame Radio Network, you kind of have more access to the team and and the pulse of the locker room than most people in the media, especially in a pandemic year. So what insight do you have on the attitude or, or mindset within the locker room as they try to knock off Goliath here as nearly three touchdown underdogs?
2: Yeah, there's there's more resilience than anybody knows, and that's not just on the players, but the coaches as well. I mean, think about this: it'd be easy for the coaches to say, "Hey, we went ten and zero, and you guys didn't show up at all," you know. And that's and Coach Kelly after the game said, "Hey, we just we just we didn't have our day; it was a bad day out there." And what that means is you had uncharacteristic performances by players across the board, and you had coaches. and I love that Coach Kelly said this. He said, "I got to coach better. I got to get my guys ready to go in that moment." And he didn't. And this is kind of the last rung for Coach Kelly to achieve. He's had now three consecutive seasons of double digit wins. I believe four, actually. He's had, you know, scores of players go to the NFL. Sam Mustafer even was a practice squad guy. And now he's one of leading the charge for the Bears as they march their way to the playoffs in the NFL. I mean, Chase Claypool, all these players, he's developed talent but he hasn't won the big game yet. And he knows that the team knows that. And for that reason, I believe they're going to bring out their best against Alabama.
0: So all season long, Notre Dame's offensive line was playing at an elite level and was widely regarded as one of, if not the best offensive line in the country, pretty much up until the ACC championship uh, when Clemson seemed to dominate the line of scrimmage. Obviously, you know, they're dealing with injuries on the interior, but as someone who played the position at the highest level, what went wrong for Notre Dame's offensive line in that game?
2: Well, one, Jared Patterson is injured, and that's not a knock against Josh Lugg and, and Zeke Carell, but Jared Patterson might be a first-round center. And to give you an idea of how rare that is, uh, I mean, it's it, you might see a first a center go in the first round once every five years. You know, that's not a position teams usually say, "Hey, we got to get our guy." Uh, but we just had Ruiz go. From Michigan last year, and I say we as offensive linemen, the eternal fraternity of offensive linemen. But Jared Patterson's a first-round center. Uh, he, he's gonna be—he's a dominant player. He's got a ton of nasty attitude. He finishes plays downfield five, ten yards, and he's a difference maker. And what most people don't know is that position of center on the offensive line is like playing quarterback. They really communicate they have to communicate to at least four other players every play and most of the time they're communicating to eight other players when they're when they get to the line of scrimmage so that was that's a big that's a big hole that, that's tough to fill especially against you know Clemson but uh, also you have to give opportunities now Notre Dame's offensive line gave Ian Book opportunities to throw the football he just didn't make the decision and I can tell you in being in championship level games If you think it, do it. There cannot be a delay between action and thought. You have to be one with yourself, and that's what athletes talk about, the mind-body connection. If I think it, my body's got to be doing it, and that's as a wide receiver, that's as an offensive lineman, and that's as a quarterback. And Notre Dame's offensive line just did not get a lot of opportunities to show off their pass protection. They didn't get a lot of opportunities to run some different types of runs. I really believe this offensive line is great, when they stretch the field and get to the outside, playing with Andy Reid at the Kansas City Chiefs, you're not going to get the same runs from us. We're going to run four different runs, two on each side, inside the tackles and outside the tackles. And whichever one you don't cover most, whichever one you don't cover best, we're going back to it until you can stop it. And then, oh, by the way, we're coming back inside the opposite way. So these are ways to call a game, and these are ways to showcase your talents that you have offensively And nothing can make up for losing Jarrett Patterson earlier this year.
1: Now, on the other side of that, I'm sure you've seen a lot of film of Alabama's offensive line, another finalist for the Joe Moore Award. But they just lost their starting center, Landon Dickerson, in the SEC championship game to injury. So do you see any weaknesses in that group that Notre Dame's defense might be able to exploit?
2: Well, you know, and Dickerson's a hell of a player, so it's going to be tough for them. The other thing, too, is they're they're huge. I think every single one of them on that offensive line for Alabama is over 305 pounds, which might not sound like a lot to people listening who are football fans. Let me tell you something. You try and move a 305-pound man who's got free food and unlimited access to a weight room, it's a different kind of animal. Um, But one of the things I do see in Alabama's offensive line is something that's been consistent for years and that is there's not a ton of athleticism. There's a lot of size, but, I mean, if you think about it, Evan Mathis is probably the most successful offensive lineman to come from Alabama. I mean, their tackles don't make it in, in the NFL typically. They uh, are not athletic enough to play against smaller players, so this is where the athleticism of Notre Dame's defensive line has an advantage, and especially in the middle, Kurt Heinisch is a savvy, nasty veteran for Notre Dame on that defensive line. And Myron Tungavailoa-Amosa is the best defensive lineman that the nation hasn't heard about. He has a great opportunity to change that this week uh, against uh, Alabama.
0: You know, a lot of people refer to Notre Dame as tight end you, but you could make the case they're left tackle you, given the run they've had at the position. Now, you played left tackle, and Notre Dame's current left tackle, Liam Eichenberg, was just selected as a finalist for the Outland Trophy, given to the best interior lineman in college football every year. So what about Liam's game impresses you the most?
2: I think longevity. You know, he's been doing it a long time. He's played through, battled through being hurt versus injured. And I always tell people, I'll never forget when a coach told me that. It was actually at Notre Dame. He said, well, Ryan, are you hurt or are you injured? I thought, I didn't know there was a difference, you know. (laughs) Um, Liam Eikenberg uses his hands really well. He's very north and south. Uh, A lot of times in college especially, guys just want to get on somebody and not move them. He has an ability to lower his hips and dent the defense, as I call it, move them backwards. Um, but it's not just left tackle you. We're O-line you, baby. I mean, Nelson, Sam Mustafer, Alex Bars, uh, Zach Martin. I mean, come on. We could go John Sullivan, who was, who was the last uh, um, offensive lineman to play in the Super Bowl, who played for Notre Dame. Uh, also, Ronnie St- Staley, Stanley. He had the largest left tackle contract in the history of the NFL. So uh, not to mention Mike McGlinchey, who's probably going to surpass that as a tackle. So we're O-line you. And, and when you get around those big, ugly guys, we don't separate ourselves. We're one unit. And uh, Notre Dame, when you play at Notre Dame, you have to play in the NFL because you're seeing the talent you will see in the NFL. And those scouts uh, know that you're actually going to school, which, oh, by the way, you spend more time in a classroom than on the field.
1: I love that. Um... Now, I remember before the season started, you went on the Shamrock podcast and, and said that Ian Book could win the Heisman this year. Seemed kind of bold at the time, but you know he ended up finishing ninth in the vote, so you really weren't that far off. And you've been very high on him. Obviously, you played with an all-time great in, in Brady Quinn. So how do you think Ian Book stacks up with some of the best quarterbacks in Notre Dame school history?
2: Well, let's be honest. I mean, well, first of all, he's the most winningest quarterback in, in Notre Dame history, period. Joe Montana. Joe Theismann, Tom Bra- I mean, Brady Quinn, uh, you know, Rick Meyer, uh, doesn't matter. Tommy Reese, doesn't matter. No one has won more games at quarterback <clears throat> than Ian Book. That's a lifetime achievement. I said it on the broadcast. Ian Book can put that on his resume. That's it. You just put, hey, most winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. Whatever job that you have, he's the guy you want. And let's also point out the fact that if he had beaten Trevor Lawrence and Clemson, Clemson twice, once with D.J and once with Trevor Lawrence. So I thought he could have been closer. But we also have to be honest, he has to perform in a big game in a way that he never has before. I know he has it in him. I know that that because of the last three games he played before that ACC championship from Boston College, North Carolina, he was making quick decisions and letting the ball go. And that's when Ian Book is his best. If, Ian Book has, if you start seeing Ian Book think about what he wants to do, and take off sideways in the pocket, that's when problems happen for Notre Dame. He has to trust his ability, and coaches have to encourage him to do that. And let's be honest, that's something that we all struggle with in life, trusting our ability, believing in our preparation. And right now, Ian Book has to do that for Notre Dame to be
0: successful. Now, I want to discuss your football career because it's pretty remarkable. You know, you committed to Notre Dame back in 2002 during Willingham's first season when Notre Dame was having a really good year. And even though you had offers from Miami and Michigan – but then your freshman year, you guys go five and seven, and then you go six and six the following year. Willingham gets fired. Meanwhile, those other schools I mentioned were having a bunch of success. So, how difficult were those early years for you at Notre Dame?
2: Well, I was, uh, you know, it was so strange, and that's a great question because um, I was the third freshman in Notre Dame history to start as a true freshman on the offensive line. So, I mean, we, we went five and seven, but we also set the single game season, single game rushing record with Julius Jones, 222 yards uh, against Pittsburgh, which still stands today. So I had this wild experience of personal success with team failure, and I had to reconcile that, you know, I had to find my place in it. One of the things I love about playing with Mike Tomlin are all the, uh, all the great gems of wisdom he gave. And one thing he always says is never minimize your role in a success or failure. And at the end of the day, as successful as I was as an individual, as a team, we weren't successful. So I had to push harder and I had to do things and I had to sustain, you know, different types of changes to be successful. I also had to go to school. I mean, I'd never been to school that hard. I mean, I I remember the first class I had as a freshman on a um, Tuesday, Thursday class. The first thing the professor says is next Thursday you have an eight page paper due on the text that we're going to talk about today and 120 pages of reading you have to do tonight. And I was like, what? Man, I did like (laughs) one eight-page paper a year in high school, you know? And oh, by the way, I've got to figure out the blitzes for USC and Boston College? Like, wow, okay. Um, So it was just a unique time. But I love Coach Willingham. I love Charlie Weiss. Those two men uh, made me a man. I still talk to them both today. I couldn't have done it without them. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's the, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest people in the world to have gone to Notre Dame and to make the right decision, a decision that a lot of guys get wrong.
1: Something I want to bring up is, you know, as I was reading up on, on you a little bit, you know, I saw that you were on an edition of MTV's true life in high school and you were being recruited. Uh, obviously I'm sure that in 2003, you know, coming to campus, you get a little bit of ribbing, but. Can you imagine? I guess you know, in 2020, recruiting's a little bit different, and, and that might seem almost on the on the tamer side of of what you know high school athletes are exposed to. But can you kind of imagine doing that in in 2020 and kind of the treatment you would have received uh, in this sort of, I guess, more you know, everything's in your face environment.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if that would have happened in this day and age. Do the kids watch MTV anymore? <laughs> I mean, this was a time 2003 where. You know, people watched it, and it was funny because I really didn't think much of it. I got a phone call. Uh, my, my actually high school coach came to me uh, as a senior in high school and said, hey, MTV called. I was like, what? Because usually they'll say, like, hey, Michigan called or Notre Dame called. They want you to call them back. And he said, hey, MTV called. I'm like, that's weird. So I went and called the guy back and said, hey, I'm Pat Lope. I'm a producer for MTV. Have you heard of the show called True Life? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, hey, well, I'm doing a show on positive weight gain. I see you got to gain weight to be successful at Notre Dame. Would you mind if we followed you during your workouts this summer and, and put you on the show? Like, sure. Say, so, like, all right, call you back in a couple weeks. And so he came a couple of times. We worked out. And then after that, uh, I didn't think much of it. And then when it aired, it aired the day before I left for Notre Dame. And that next day, I was on the walkway underneath the tunnel in uh, Chicago's O'Hare Airport. And as I was on the escalator, um, a lady across from me was like, you were on MTV last night. And I was like, oh, crap, my team saw it. I'm going to get murdered, you know. And so sure enough, I walked into the, you know, dorms for training camp. And the guys were like, "Who? where's that MTV? You know, and, oh, God.
0: <laughs> and so they
2: gave it to me pretty hard uh, for a long time. And, I, and, and hey, that's all right. It taught me a lesson that people are going to recognize you before you recognize me. But it was also funny because a couple weeks later when the regular students came to campus, AKA, you know, the, the, the ladies, uh, they were like, Hey, where is that MTV kid? And they're like, let me show you my friend Ryan. He's right over here. I'm like, Oh, friends. All right. So I learned a lot in that experience and, um, and something that I'm grateful for. That's hilarious.
0: Especially that they're like, Oh, now he's my friend. You should hear all about it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we had uh, quite a gathering around uh, the park benches there on the South quad. And I just thought to myself, these guys were literally murdering me for this, you know, two, you know, two hours ago. And now that people are on campus, I'm everybody's friend. All right. Well, and and, you know, it's a great lesson to learn. You're not really everybody's friend, especially if they want you to be.
0: Yeah. It's funny how things change like that. Now you were part of some great games and big wins as a football player, um, including a Super Bowl. But when you look back on your time as a student athlete at Notre Dame, what are some of your fondest memories? And it doesn't even have to be football related.
2: Uh, you know, I went to my freshman year. I walked into the. A lot of my successes has just come from not caring or not knowing that I didn't have to do something. You know, uh, one of those examples is as a freshman, I walked into uh, our our guidance our our counselor's office. I said, "Hey, I'm Harris. Where's you know G through G through L or whatever?" And I went into her office and I said, "Hey, I want to graduate with two degrees in three and a half years, and I don't want to waste my time." And she said, wow, you're the only player that's come in in the last five years and said that. So I put together a plan and I did that. Uh, I I graduated from a school that I probably don't get in if I don't play football, which brings up a whole list of other issues. Right. How do I how would I not make it with a 25 ACT? But I graduate with two degrees in three and a half years, you know. Uh, So I was I'm really proud of the fact that I did my schoolwork. I went beyond in my schoolwork while going beyond on the field. And, uh, and I'll never forget driving away from Notre Dame uh, one last time from the main circle and seeing the Golden Dome as, uh, as I realized Notre Dame was going to be there for me to visit, but it was never going to be there for me again as a student.
1: Now, last question. You were drafted by the Broncos in 2007 and, and bounced around different teams for about a decade before ultimately rejoining the Broncos and winning the Super Bowl um, in the 2015-16 season. How fulfilling was that for you?
2: Oh, incredibly, incredibly, you know, to to get drafted um, and to get released and then go and find myself as a player in Houston and Kansas City and come back and win a championship and then end as a Pittsburgh Steeler. I mean, just to, to learn from Coach Kubiak and Mike Tomlin to play with Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger to end my career uh, that started with, you know, Jay Cutler, who I love and um, Tim Tebow, who I love and Kyle Orton, who I love. It was just a, it was a unique it was a unique experience and, and something that has given me a lot of strength in terms of other, you know, other people will say, you know, hey, you know, what what happened over 10 years that you couldn't play for one team? Well, excuse me. Are you at your first job that you started <laughs> at? You know, you don't stay in the NFL if you suck. I promise you. So to be able, I saw every year I was in the NFL as a promotion and I really had to do different things. I had to, you know, meditation is a huge part. Uh, of my life. Learning how to have a mental performance coach and talk about the fears that we have uh, performing, to be able to overcome those fears, to have a process to overcome failure, to have a mindset that can overcome failure with the words, I am, I can, I will. Um, these are all things that were created through the journeys that I went through in the NFL that ultimately uh, made me a champion. And it's something that I use every day in my life and something that I speak to companies about. And something I have fun humanizing and educating people about the game they love when it comes to football. All
0: right, Ryan, I know you got things to do, so be sure to check out his book, Mindset for Mastery, and listen to him on the broadcast of Notre Dame Football Games on the Notre Dame Radio Network. Thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon, okay?
2: Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Luke. Go Irish.
1: And that was Ryan Harris. Really appreciated his insights into What might give Notre Dame an advantage on the line of scrimmage, which I know is something we're all hoping to see improvement in in this big game from last Saturday in Charlotte. I also got a kick out of him saying that Bama just doesn't really have any successful linemen in the uh, NFL. Definitely threw some shade there. Whether it's true or not, I appreciated it.
0: (laughs) I don't think it's kind of true, I guess, but like they put so many offensive linemen in the NFL. I guess, like, yeah, they're going to have some misses kind of went Adam him though is like they're not athletic
1: at all they're just slow lumbering pieces of whatever so I, I appreciated that um, he, he has a way with words you know he, I've listened to a couple of his uh, calls and I know Rex Culpepper is probably still haunted by whatever Ryan Harris was saying to him during the
0: Syracuse <laughs> game but awesome interview I know it was a bummer that he had a heart out because I would have loved for you to ask like what what did Rex Culpepper do to you, Ryan? Like, why were you so rude to him in that game? But, yeah, he was great. Really appreciate it. I mean, hell, the dude won a Super Bowl. He has a pretty incredible insight. Yeah, no doubt about that. And um, he seems pretty
1: confident in this team's ability going into this ball game. So, um, I don't see why we shouldn't as well, even though I just picked against us. But, yeah,
0: when are you flying down? Uh, I fly
1: down Thursday morning, so supposed to rain in Dallas on Thursday, which kind of dashes some hopes of just boozing all day at a patio, I guess. But um, we'll figure it out. Um, it, it I keep forgetting it's New Year's. I don't know what the hell the deal is going to be. I guess Dallas is wide open, but I, I'd like to stay away from people prior to the game. So we'll figure it out. Yeah,
0: I hear you. Well, that about wraps it up. For this episode of Sun Saturday Irish, we will be back next week on Tuesday to talk about the playoff game, hopefully. The national championship. Yeah, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that. But for now, go Irish and, uh, hell, hope for the best on Friday. <laughs> Ain't no curses. <clears throat> Ain't no curses.